The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, Okay, so my story this week, I don't really feel like I even have a story except for, you can head to Patreon, I, I talk more about this, but... My family was in town for my nephew's game, which was very sad. He lost, TCU lost their game, and I was beside myself, but my nephew was totally happy with his performance, and they'll be good next year. But my mom was here for a lot of the time, and by the end, it's like no matter what age I am, in my family pecking order, I always revert back to like the the young child that I was with my mom and by the end we were in these like giant fights mostly about politics like just dumb stuff and by the end I was like okay bye mom dropped her off at the airport like kissed her goodbye I I adore my mom but we just we can only be together in doses sometimes because we bicker and we differ politically like to the point where it's very difficult sometimes because you have to be so careful the conversations that you bring up so that's my number one point not that funny, 
funny if you actually experienced five minutes of a conversation with us, then that would be funny. But I can't really take you on that ride. Listen to the episode my mom and I did together. I'll say that. Um, that was out like probably six months ago. And it's pretty funny. Um, what I will also bring up before I introduce my beautiful guest is I did a post on Instagram and it it was a very like if you've listened to me for a long time, you know, I can be a crier. And I did, I posted this post in the past week and it's basically about how I, you know, I have this podcast. It's thankfully successful and you all listen. So grateful to you. But I also just signed with a speaking agency. So I'm going to be doing motivational speaking across the country And I'm also writing my book and then I have a chapter in a book coming out on February 28th. So more to come on that in the next month. But the reason I kind of made this post is because I'm very open with my journey about my own struggles with my mental health and how it got so bad at one point in like 2019, 2020 that I did not want to be here And thankfully, with the help of my therapist and I went to a psychiatrist, I got put on an anti-anxiety medicine. So my panic attacks kind of got into check. I'm not on medication now, but I really share these stories every week with my guests, share my own story, get vulnerable is because I want I want people to understand that sharing your story and sharing what you've gone through is so important because it really can help just one person. So when I did that post, my intention was not to like brag and be like, and then I did this and now I'm doing this. It's really because I did not want to be here in 2019 and I truly almost checked out and I try not to think back on that time, but I, it's a reminder that we're all here and we all have a story And we all never know what our future is going to bring. So in 2019, if you would have told me, I didn't even know what a podcast was. I I grew up with attention deficit disorder. I never would have thought I would be able to write a book or have a chapter in a book. I, yes, I've always been an actress and I love entertaining and making people laugh. But motivational speaking, the point of all of this like long-winded story is like, your 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 story matters and you never know five years from now one year from now where you are going to be so it's so important to remind yourself of that and we need you and the world needs you and there's only one of you so we need you to stay we've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance judging megan with megan judge I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to judging Megan. On that note, I am going to introduce my beautiful guest, Hannah Sward. I said it correctly, right? You did. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Oh, 
Okay, I always get nervous. I'm like, wait, am I saying the name right? Um, Hannah is the author of Strip, and I actually found her. She followed me on Instagram, like when I posted that post, I think pretty recently. Yeah, and I don't always open like when people follow me, or I don't. But I'm. I've said this over and over again on the podcast. I'm always drawn to things and people for different reasons. And I really believe everything happens for a reason. And you're supposed to find people for different reasons. And the minute I opened her profile, I was like, okay, she has to come on. Messaged her. And here we are, right? Uh, Here here we we are. are. So welcome. Thank you, Megan. It's such an honor to be here. And I think it was that post, your vulnerability. I was like, oh, I was all in. And what you were sharing about, you just never know what's going to happen. And and you sharing that in 2019, that's where you were and where you are now. I mean, we need those things so, like that spoke to me because especially in this day and age where we see all this stuff on here and we don't really know, uh-huh. like I could look at you and I'm like, Oh my God, those blue, eyes, like all <laughs> blue eyes, like this big podcast. And then you share that. And I'm like, Oh, she like, that speaks to me. Wow. I'm thank you for saying that, but that's like the whole point of social media and all of this stuff, which has like really corrupted our society, yet I still use it and I'm on it like every day, is really like my my personal um, Instagram has my kids, you know, and like my life where I call it my Instagram life. Like we're at Disneyland. We're so happy. Meanwhile, we had a giant fight this morning and I wanted to beat you up and hit you over the head with a can, <laughs> but I didn't do it. And then the the judging Megan Instagram is really, I started it because of the podcast, but it's really like, yes, you're going to see ugly crying. Yes, you're going to like know true things about my struggles. And I think that that's how social media can be a good thing because it normalizes mental health and it normalizes that we all at some point in our life, as perfect as somebody's life looks from the outside, are all going to struggle, whether it be with loss, grief the things that you've addiction, the things that you've gone through in your life or I have, you never know. So that's why talking about it is the best thing that you can do for yourself and other people. So let's get into your story. Um, I want to find out, I mean, you have this very successful book out. I want to find out where you're from. I know you're from on the living on the West Coast because a lot of my guests not are not. And so it's always hard to schedule. <laughs> Tell me about your tell me about your childhood and your upbringing. Let's start okay. there. Uh, well, first, I'm already teared up, so hopefully I'll I will keep it together during this. I don't know. Oh, get ready for I, it. I, You're at the right place. I cry every episode. Okay, Just I already get ready. Yeah, up. not every episode, but most of them. Go ahead. You've seen my eyes already water up. Uh, I'm like, oh God, here we go. Uh, my childhood. You know, it's always interesting when, like, asked about that because, like, you know, sometimes it can be kind of sound like take through, you know, someone through and it sounds like, and I did this and this and this and this kind of gets, like, a little tedious. However, just a real snapshot, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in Victoria in the first nine years, bohemian parents, artist parents, a poet father, and it was in the 70s, so it was the hippie 
hippie time, or at least my parents were hippies. And my mother fell in love with a sculptor when I was two, and she left. So I grew up with my father, uh, which at that time, especially fathers didn't normally get custody of their children. In any case, that. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, you know, we we moved around a lot. We moved uh, to Toronto Island at one, you know, when I was nine. And we lived on an island with no cars or stores and went and we, we were in this little like cottage house and it had like a fur, uh, not a furnace, a wood stove. If you like swing, swung, swing, swung, uh, it was a swing in the living room and it would swing right into the wood stove. And it, it was just like, it, I'm not sure why I'm sharing that image, but that image, like I, I was thinking of that this morning. I'm like, interesting like you know and like when we moved in there was it sound it sounds like it sounds like kind of like what I would picture like Laurel Canyon in the 70s being like is am I am I off like you know like how they had all those like communes and like all the singers would be up there like the mamas and the papas am I am is that a good accurate description yeah that's very that's very much it uh and yeah, and actually my father was very much into the gurus and meditation. And even as a kid, I had a meditation pillow and he was following Baba Muktananda uh, at the time. And he would go, he went to India. And I just remember coming, you know, he I had this meditation pillow and we were in, we ended up moving to a commune at one point up in the Santa Cruz mountains. And I just remember as a child too, like, the microphone going around in this big meditation hall, you know, big ashram. And, you know, people are asking like, what is it to be in the here and the now? And what's, you know, and then, you know, the guru just nods and was like, oh, you know, and just anyway. So my childhood was, it was a, uh, a little unorthodox. And there was also, yeah, you know, a lot of trauma. I was, you know, I, I spent a lot of time alone as a child. And when I was six, I was kidnapped from a park, uh, from a strange, oh by a stranger. Gosh. And mm-hmm. he said that, you know, if I ever told anyone what he did or what I was going to do, uh, that he would kill me. And obviously I'm here to live, to share about it. However, mm-hmm. what happened with that experience is I got in trouble for it. That was my, and I really internalized that as stuffing down my voice. Like that was really the point where, like, I think I really, uh, as much as a child can, like I abandoned my own self at that age. Right. So it was yeah. like just this uh, feeling like I didn't have a right to exist. And I say that because it's interesting that you say that because I've interviewed multiple children and what you're saying in the very beginning of your story is age two, like trauma already started, right? Your mom left. Yeah. And then that this is all under the age of six years old, but also back in that time, it I, from so many of the stories I've heard, Parents didn't know what to say to their kids when they were in these situations. Yeah. Um, and so they would lash out a lot of times at their kids. 
This yeah. is a common thing, a common um, theme that I've actually heard. Like, don't talk about it, push it down. Um, and, and like, maybe I'm trying to think I did an episode pretty recently where we talked about this and the same kind of thing happened and what that does to a child. You know what? It actually just, it's a re episode that's going to air this week. Same exact thing. The, a, a girl that I just had on Elaine, she had an incident like that and it just stayed with her for her whole life until she started getting help. Yeah, it makes sense though. And I'm sorry to talk over you, but I had to say that. No, I'm fa I I actually didn't it, no, I I pre I'm very interested in hearing about that and uh yeah, it was a different time. It was a different time. I mean, there mm -hmm. you know, in a different way. I mean, there wasn't amber alert. There just wasn't the awareness that there is now and I think you're right like that parents mm -hmm. just you know, I don't know what that was. Uh I do remember going to the hospital uh, or to the doctors for quite a while after because I would have these nightmares that I was having a baby. I was, uh, you know, I would get in that in that position and, and act out these night, well, not act out and live these these nightmares. And I just remember as a child, like they put would take me out of school. I'd go to the doctors and be put to sleep, and then they put glue in my hair or at least. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't glue, but that's what it, my memory of it is, and wires to test the uh, sleeping patterns or something. And the, and the nightmares went away. Uh, I don't know why I'm sharing that right now. No, that's, you know what that is. That's not, that's a massive amount of PTSD because we, our brains don't have the capability to process trauma when we're that little. Right. So like in my case, I witnessed my little sister die at age two. So I had a reoccurring dream every year until I was like about 11 and 12. And that's when I started therapy. And, and I w had a dream that I picked her up and, and I drowned her. Like I flushed her down the toilet. This is very common. This is because you're, you have like, you have complex PTSD, yet it's so much worse in a child because we don't there's no way to know how to handle it yeah 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 I'm yeah. so sorry to hear that and I'm likewise I mean I can't even imagine that and and it lends itself then to you know when I had a babysitter when I was nine I didn't like him and I mean that's mm -hmm. an understatement uh However, again, using my voice and saying it, it was, I wasn't heard, right? And I also had a little brother who was seven years younger than myself. So he was two at that time uh, with the babysitter. And I was really scared for him as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was a chaotic childhood. It was also filled with, you know, a lot of art and creativity and, and literature. And my father, you know, worked at the... Uh, University, you know, as I was a professor at university for a while, and poet. So it was the sensibility of and the love for art, poetry. Uh, my earliest memories are, are going to poetry readings with him, and uh, along with the, the meditation and the gurus. <laughs> I mean, that seems like the hap the happy stuff is like you try to like your brain tries to extract 
these like happy thoughts but and and like erase the negative ones I I find that I do that too you know I mean just as a protective mechanism because it's not all bad obviously yeah and um but it it is like your childhood trauma stays with you further it's like an extra appendage that you can't see for the rest of your life and it's like constant constantly working on it you know and and yeah it's a constant struggle to have to work on these kinds of things tell me um so that seems like kind of like how your struggles probably were taken into your adulthood um and where you kind of landed where were so were you always in Canada or you kind of said you came to the states and you were in California am I wrong on that no we did yeah so my mother ended up moving to Florida so every summer I would see her every July for a month uh and she had a you know my half sister lived with her and my stepfather and so I just to plant the seed that my sister and I were really close three years younger even though we only saw each other once a year, we were just glued to each other. Uh-huh. And nobody else existed when, you know, like all her friends knew scatter. When, when you know, the sister comes, leave. Because, <laughs> you know, we'll be, yeah. And uh, so I would, I would spend a, a month every year in, uh, you know, in Florida. And then when I was in... Uh, uh, ninth grade, yeah, we moved to uh, Mount Madonna, a commune up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. So we moved to the States at that time mm-hmm. and uh, went to a little private school up there. Well, little, when I say little, there was 11 people in the uh, in the whole high school. <laughs> so, oh my God. Yeah, my dad was my that teacher. <laughs> That's like homeschooling. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'd eat tofu yeah. and rice and then go into the you know, the other area where the high school was. (laughs) Um, That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you, like, how did you, how old were you at that age? You were in ninth grade? Yeah. 14, I think. Right. From ninth grade. Okay. And then your high school experience was just, you know, being in that small atmosphere. Well, that kind of sounds like there was Go ahead. That didn't last long. I ended up going to Florida for the summer and, you know, a series of events. Well, my, my stepmom ended up leaving my father and it was just a really rough period. So I ended up staying in Florida for a while uh, until my father called me back, which was really traumatic. So I didn't know what, why I had to stay there and I wanted to go back to my father. And uh, I just... Uh, yeah. So then when I came back, we were in the Santa, we were in Santa Cruz. So I went to Santa Cruz high. So it was an, a regular high school after that. And, uh, and as soon as I graduated, I went back to Canada. I was really homesick, really homesick. So I went mm-hmm. back to, to, I went to Toronto and, um, yeah. And what was that? What was your after like high school experience like? Well, my sister and I, uh, her name is Rilka, in the book, our plan was always, because uh, I grew up doing ballet, and and my sister and I would go to theater camp and dance camp in the summer when I would visit her. Our plan was always to go to L.A. as soon as we could, That ever since we were little kids, right? 
become the dream. And because she was three years younger, I had th uh, three years to kind of play with. And I did. And without going so much into all the, the detail, not to make it tedious, I ended up going back to school or, or that was my plan, uh, which I did. I got into a theater school in Miami and a girl, my best girlfriend was filming a show in Chicago. So I stayed with her and I earned money. I had the summer to earn money for college. And, you know, I, I got a job at um, comparable to the 24 hour fitness. So you standing there like at mm -hmm. 5 a.m. with the, you know, towels. But <laughs> with the towel. <laughs> yeah, I, think I lasted three hours. <laughs> Let's just say that. I lasted three yeah, hours. Yeah. In my, you know, and then yeah. I handed in the uh, spandex blue uniform. <laughs> And I, uh, I went home, went to our, the, you know, condo that my, that my uh, friend was being put up at uh, when she was filming. And I opened Chicago Tribune and I, I went right to the back of the, to the classifieds and it said make three or I don't know how much money an hour. And the next night I was on the uh, subway going to meet Mr. Sam at a Italian restaurant. And uh, the following night, I was at his apartment with six other girls sitting on the couch, like a velour couch with like a zebra, you know, velour zebra above, like framed. And yeah. Eating, you know, bologna sandwiches waiting for a guy to call to, you know, if we fit the description or if I fit the description. And uh, so at 19, I became a call girl for a period. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I was, what, 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 what was that like? Like, were like, what do you think? What do you think? Like when you saw the ad, did you understand what you were getting into or were yeah. you just like, you did, you were yeah, like, I, I want to make two money months or three months. Okay. I'm always, I'm always like curious, like how that happens, yeah. you know, especially, especially to somebody like, you know, it could happen to anybody, really. But people that have that trauma yeah. in their background, there's always like something there, something there. And and like it could be money that motivated you. It could be so many different things. And obviously you're, you weren't a bad person. Like I hate when people are judgmental of hearing these kinds of things because it's like you never know what somebody's story was why they looked at that ad and they went okay so so you found yourself like sitting on that sofa yeah with this man and then to, and then what happened and the other girls well I you know went out and saw my first client and I tried I did try to cocktail waitress and I, I didn't have I didn't have it in me uh, but I did have it in me to in some respect, because I, mean, I really believe, I do think trauma informs those decisions, uh, certainly not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, being needing to make the quick money. And I, I'm also very clear that not everybody chooses that who's who has to make money and doesn't have those resources. Mm -hmm. um, I you know, was not a good call girl, a prostitute. I was terrible at it. I remember my first client was this man and he wanted me to talk dirty. And I was just like, I just 
I, I just froze and I just couldn't. And he, I don't know, it was like 2 a.m. And he said, oh, this is the best time that they, you know, at my donut place, let's go for donuts instead. So, you know, we went for cinnamon rolls and had hot cinnamon rolls and he gave me money. And that was my like first night. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll be able to learn to talk dirty, right? Uh, but I give that snapshot too, because it's like the men were all types. You know, I mean, who, mm-hmm. no one would think, oh, you go for donuts. Like what the guy's going to pay for sex, but you go for, end up for donuts and you still make the money. Uh, I, I did, you know, I did learn to be a better, kind of <laughs> better call girl. Uh, that didn't last too long because I wasn't in Chicago. That was a few months. And then I went to school for theater in Miami. However, we're, by the time my sister graduated and I moved to Los Angeles, I remember taking the cab and she was working at the body shop, a strip club up on Sunset Boulevard. And I, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. still there. If you're, if you're an Angelino, everybody knows where that yes. is. Especially I lived in West Hollywood for years. Yeah. 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 In fact, I want to post a little excerpt from the book uh, with that picture. You know, like, uh, yeah, just so people can see the visual. It's in every movie. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's in every movie. Like, it's very, very common that they'll do like a street shot of the body shop. Yeah. Yeah, Every celebrity goes in there. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I've I've actually actually even been in there. She's like, yeah, that's where I asked out Brad Pitt. I'm like, you did? (laughs) And uh, yeah, no, they're all in there. They were all in there. Like when I was young, I remember I went went one time with a group of guys and I was like, okay, time for me to go now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I understand. Yeah. 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 Um, So so she ended up coming out and you were in theater school. You got you guys were both in L.A. She ended up at the body shop. And then what about you? What were you doing? Well, I, again, I had no money. I was like, I needed a car, right? Well, first I needed to even learn how to drive, Mm -hmm. but I needed a car, needed, Mm -hmm. you know, rent money. And I, you know, thought about joining my sister there, but I was very shy and I just couldn't imagine dancing. I just thought, well, that's, you know, she's, she was a much better dancer than she was, you know, it was burlesque at that time anyway. And I just, I, I just mm-hmm. didn't see myself doing that. I just felt too, like, couldn't get up on stage. However, I did end up doing, um, I was, ended up being a call girl again with this madame and did that for a period of time. Uh, yeah. So I, I. Was it Heidi Fleiss? No, no, it wasn't no, but it was place. during that time. So yeah, yeah, it was during that time. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff, but every single thing you've said to me and I, by, by no means I'm a therapist, but like I tried to, that, like every guest that I interview, no matter what your story is, that that's why the podcast I talk about being resilient it's, it's, I can tell from your story that you're just a fighter and you were just trying to go on and do everything you could. Yeah. And so when people might listen to your story or might make judgments, 
I, I hate it when people do because it's like nobody understands what it's like to stand in those shoes with that past. Yeah. Just tapping on your shoulder all the time, whispering in your ear, right? Yeah. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy suffering. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and the ways of checking out and and uh, not even not being there for the experience, the disassociation that happens, all of all of that trauma, that uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I did end up stripping though. I came to a point where I just couldn't do the the call girl the. I say call girl, you know, and it's, it's a nice, I find it a nicer word than prostitute. Uh, I still have trouble saying prostitute. Uh, but I ended up doing, uh, going to strip to be with my sister. And that was a step up, right? Was it, were you still at the same location? In a, like at Body Shop? Uh, we or went different to one? a little dumpy place on the uh, east side near the railroad tracks. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then we ended up oh, at a better okay. club, uh, better, uh, prettier girls, more money, <laughs> you know, more competition, and did end up back at the body shop at one point. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. Around, I mean, probably. And, every and tell, club. tell me, tell me about like the life, the understanding, like what it's like, the mentality of, of, of having to like perform in in like obviously being uh being you don't like the word prostitute 
I mean, you can say that. It's um, good. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. No, no. Or like whatever you prefer. But like, it just makes me sad that it, that you found yourself in these situations. But all of it makes sense when you kind of like take a step back to me. Yeah. And does it make you sometimes look back on your life before I go into like the questions that I'm sure every human on the earth goes, what is it like working in a strip club? You know, all of those things. But I like to talk about like what it was like knowing that you were just trying to like get through it and make that money and, and, um, and, and exist if the, if yeah. you will obviously your sister had some issues too and that's her story but people don't usually just go into like you know um becoming call girls or going into stripping without some background of usually um you know some kind of molestation as a child or trauma yeah. period I'm sure you must know some, but it's very rare, right? That the, a lot of those women in the clubs, very rare. they come from a pretty hard background, right? Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I do want to say, because I, I remember doing this panel in Chicago a few months ago, and it was on the sex trade. And one of the audience members uh, in the Q&A said, well, you were driven by your drug addiction to make those choices, right? And mm -hmm. I was like, I, no. Like, these choices were not drug... Like, I was not a drug addict at that point. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think that's important because a lot of people think, oh, it's, you know, these choices are made to feed the drug addiction, which is certainly true at some, you know, in some for some people. But I also think... Uh, you know, especially being in recovery now, people are like, well, you, you know, we make those choices when we're, when we're under the influence. I'm like, no, I wasn't under the influence. But do you think that a lot of times if, if women or men or whoever it be go into these professions, they don't start out with the intention of ever touching a drug. Right. But yeah. then it's like, that's just like something that they end up doing to get through. Yeah. Because you are putting yourself out there and we're human beings. And I've been in those places. I mean, you know, people are ogling at you. You have a bunch of gross, perverted men, like, you know, like throwing money at you. Like it, it can, it's got to be difficult and you can't always want to be in the mood to obviously do that. So tell me about that part of it. Absolutely. I, I remember when I first started stripping too, I thought, wow, it's such a stereotype that all the girls were on drugs. And I really was like, just, and uh, however, that was where I began doing drugs uh, to, mm -hmm. to lose weight. That was my, my, my sister and I wanted to lose weight. We, we felt we were curvier than some of the other girls. And we're like, how do they do it? And we would try all these mm -hmm. diets. Like we had you know, we went to Weight Watchers and strapped on weights to our ankles to, you know, be able to qualify because I guess we were under the weight. But like for a stripper, it, I, I don't know, we were delusional is it what we were. We still say that today. We're like, we look at pictures and like she was in a, she ended up getting a part in Showgirls and we were watching that recently and we're like, oh my God, like, 
Like that was pre-lipo. We ended up getting liposuction. And she was 21. I was. Well, that's so common. That's so common, though, in L.A. I mean, the L.A. is like and Las Vegas, right, are two of the capitals of like the high high end strip clubs and then obviously low end, but very common all over the valley. That's people know all about it. But um, I do understand that because I in my 20s, even though I was not a stripper, nor would anybody want to see me do that, (laughs) especially these days, because I would be in my Hanes for her briefs. And my like old lady bra, but that's a joke. Sorry. Um, but I was so hard on myself in my twenties and I have two little girls and like my almost 13 year old this week, she'll be 13 this week. She's just like I was. And my joke all the time. And my listeners have heard me say this is I'm like, if I could just go backwards with the knowledge and the brain that I have now. And 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 the and the confidence that I have as a human yeah. to what I looked like at that age, you know, and just put those together. Oh yeah. But we're also as women just so hard on ourselves, and then just I can imagine like I was acting always on yeah. diets. I I understand that, and we live. If you were living in LA during that time, very common to be doing drugs. So that's not the clubs, all that scene. It was, that's what people did, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, so the strip clubbing, at first it was, at first it was fun because I was with my sister. So we would go to work together. Mm -hmm. We would put the bleach trays in our mouth on the way and spit in the yogurt cup. Like we just like, we were, we were. We were hell on wheels, the two of us. We were terrors. We were, no one would want to be around us together. Like we'd roller skate in our apartment at 3 a.m. And with hardwood floors, we were on the top floor. And we were horrible. Like we were just. (laughs) Where did, wait, where did you, where did you live? I need to know like what part of town. Right a block from House of Pies. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I lived in Los Feliz like at one point too. I wonder if I knew you. Well, if you did, you yeah. wouldn't want to be hanging out with us. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, I was maybe not roller skating, but still. So so you were in the beginning like happy to be together and then it kind of turned? Well, it turned in the sense of I, my sister was good, was a good dancer. <laughs> she was good at stripping. She didn't have the same emotional reaction as I did. I became one of those, well, one, I wasn't mm-hmm. dancing on stage. I, which is, I don't, I don't know if there's any stripper that don't dance on stage, but that was, I had talked to with the owner. I'm like, I can't do a stage. I only want to do private dances and lap dances. Okay. I didn't want to be up, up yeah. there, except for like something that's called ladies choice. And you have to get up there and walk around in a line with all the other girls. So the men can see you. And, uh, and then you give uh-huh. like a free dance for 30 seconds and say, would you like more? <laughs> it's always so humiliating. They're like, no, no, I, I want to, I want Celeste now. I'm like, okay. You know, I was Claudia. My name was Claudia. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Claudia and Lola, my sister was Lola. So it was like, oh my God, if Claudia and Lola don't do well, you know, it's a bad night. Like, because then the, most strippers, when they first begin, it's like the, well, I don't know. I shouldn't speak to most sisters, uh, most sisters, most, more, most strippers. I don't know what their experience is. However, 
I just I became more and more depressed. I was, you know, and we, you know, at one point we tried crystal meth uh, because we asked this girl Athena. It was after our our liposuction, and we started forming these muffin tops because we got it in our like I guess our hip area mm-hmm. or in under our butt because we thought under our butt was just horrifying. We were like we can't live with the way our under butts look. There's no line. Like we can't go on like this, and. We talked to Athena and Athena, we're like, what do you do? Like, what do you guys do? You know, what to, to keep your figures? And I look back on pictures and I'm like, wow, we really, we didn't like our figures. <laughs> it was kind of crazy, you know? Yeah, no. It's like what no, you were I saying. Know. And she's yeah. like, crystal meth. And we're like, crystal meth? And uh, so we tried it and we did it for a month. And, and that, be, that planted the seed. I immediately loved it. However, we didn't lose weight for a whole month, which is unheard of. And like, you don't do meth for a month and not lose weight. But that is what happened to us. And fortunately, because then we, we stopped. Oh, you were able to stop after a yeah. month? Yeah. However, wow. at the time, then there was this diet drug called Fenfen, which is just pretty much legalized. Do you yeah. remember Fenfen? I've, I've done it. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I did it when I was young. Yeah. yeah. And it's awful. It's horrific. Yeah. Really bad for you. Too. Yeah. So I was like a Fenfen junkie. We both were like, we just, you know, and I went to a bunch of different doctors, making sure I get it. Like I was, that, that was my gateway after the first met. That was, the, it was the Fenfen. And I became skinnier and skinnier and would sit on the side and cry and cry. And nobody wants, you know, there's one section of the of the book it's like nobody wants a crime stripper right but you at least I had a couple regulars I guess they didn't seem to care too much and then I just it just got worse and worse you know got worse and worse and uh well fen 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 is is also like a depressed like a major depressant so it makes sense why you were struggling. You know, um, I, I know many, many people of our age group that tried that diet drug and ha- ended up having bad health problems. Thankfully, I was not on it for a long period of time. But my, I remember struggling with my mental health from taking it. It was really bad. I would have really bad panic attacks. Yeah. So I, that's, that is what, why I went off of it. I can remember that. And I was young. I was in my 20s. The panic attacks. I started having those too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was actually in a man's car. The first one, my sister and I were trying to get out of stripping and we started doing like catering. And we're going to Walt Disney. Wait, Walt Disney World? Yeah, Disney World to do like an event. It was like 4 a.m. We had to drive there. We were carpooling with this man and we're on the freeway going to Anaheim. Dis- was it Disney? Disneyland. Oh, Disneyland. Okay, yes. I was just confused. Disneyland. Disneyland. Yeah. So so you started doing, like, you got out of tried the stripping, to. and then you started going into catering? Tried to. Yeah, okay. tried to. I was doing, like, extra work, and, and, and so was my sister. We were both trying not to. We were trying to get out of that. And so, and again, and we wanted yeah. to be together. We thought, well, catering, we can be together. And go to these catering events together. Yeah. So the first one we were doing was, uh, like I said, in Disneyland, Disneyland, 
And we were carpooling with this guy. We're on the freeway. It was, like I said, 4 a.m. because we had to be there really early. And I had started having my first panic attack. I did have my first panic attack on the freeway. And I started shaking and not being able to breathe and the sweat. And I thought I was dying, as many people, you know, if anyone's experienced that. Yeah. And my sister scary. took one look at me and she told the guy, who we didn't even know, pull over. And he let us out on the freeway and, and you know, kept on going. That combined with like the fen-fen of the panic attacks, that became, I shared that memory. It's actually not even in the book, that memory. That like was a, it was interesting that it was in the car of a stranger because I mean, that was the, like when I was six, right? So it was like a something, yeah. something triggered in me. And at that point I was 24 and, uh, you know, things got really, really bad after that, really bad. And my solution ended up being crystal meth. That was my solution, which it took me a lot of years of recovery to realize that the word solution. I didn't understand, like, how could that possibly be a solution? But it was my escape or my, my attempt at an escape because uh, I couldn't tolerate what was coming up. It may, I mean, this all makes sense. Every single piece of what you've said today, even though I can't relate to like the stripping part or, you know, the other, some of the other parts, but I can relate to a lot of what you said. And when you have an addictive personality, which is really just trying to cover up that piece that you're trying to run away from so hard, so hard. Yeah. Um, my trauma, Eileen, way too much. Thankfully, I'm, I, you know, I did take a really long break from alcohol. I'm back not drinking to the extent like I did, but I drink again and now I'm taking a break again. But, um, I lean on alcohol. I'm very open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the past like couple of years, I've realized and I took that break because I was like, here I am doling out advice every week, talking about my mental health. And yet I was drinking a bottle of wine every night. Right. So we all have as as trauma survivors coping mechanisms. Yeah. Some are some people just tend to like wrong place at the wrong time. And it sounds like a lot of that is kind of what happened to you, you know? Yeah. So yeah. tell me once you got back into that meth world, how long were you like, did it take for you to like kind of for the sake of time, I feel yeah. that I could talk to you for hours. Uh, like how long did it take you to kind of get, get out of it or, about it was a long what run. I next? had a long run. Uh, it was seven or eight years. Wow! And uh, and by the time I was towards my end, I was probably about thirty six, thirty seven, and I hadn't been a drinker at all. Mm-hmm. And when I quit meth, I began drinking, and that really scared me because I saw that it was. I was just substituting one thing for the other. And yeah. it scared me so much because before that I, I didn't even couldn't even finish a glass of wine. And shortly after the meth, I saw, oh my God, wow, 
I started controlling and managing it and trying to not drink, you know, after or trying not to wait to wait until five o'clock, trying to wait until 12. Don't do it before the gym. Do it after the gym. Uh, mm-hmm. All of the ways that I tried to control it. How how did you kick meth? Like, did you, because that's a really heavy duty drug to trick, to, yeah. to kick. How did you, how did you kick it? I, I mean, my memory of it, because it was now for meth, that was probably, that was 13, no, four, 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, and although like now that I'm like completely sober, it's 12 and a half. So there was a few years okay. of the drinking. So you know, completely clean and sober for 12 and a half. However, with uh, meth, you know, I just, I remember the end and the kicking. My experience of it was I, it's not like, I mean, I've never done heroin, so I don't know, but it's not like that withdrawal. It was, I slept and I ate. You know, I feel like I hadn't slept in or ate and ate. Or eaten in eight years, right? Um, yeah. However, the depression was so gripping mm-hmm. in the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and again, my- what about what about like all the things like losing your teeth or the things that they talk about the side effects? Did you? Yeah, I started looking really bad. I mean, my family's like, "What is going yeah. on?" And I just said, "Oh, I'm just eating a lot of sugar," and they're like, "Well, you're so skinny." And but it's a it. it my pallor was weird and yeah, my teeth, uh, I had already had, I had always had like, you know, nice teeth and they started deteriorating. I started, uh, losing the enamel, enamel, uh, fortunately to this day, like I I have my teeth, which I I don't even know how that happened. Uh, I did get these like little bondings, uh, in there, although I'm still self-conscious about my teeth. I am like, well, your teeth look great. You look, you look fantastic. And, and by the way, 12 and a half years, that congratulations on your sobriety of 12 and a half years. That's quite an accomplishment. So, so let me ask you what, like, what made you, where are you now? Let me ask you that. Yeah. And if I'm skipping ahead of anything, you tell me, but I want to know where you are now and like how you, how you decided to write the book. And, um, and like kind of that stuff. Yeah. Well, where I am right now is, you know, the book came out, uh, about four months ago, four or five months ago in Mm -hmm. in September. And now I, where I am right now, I mean, I'll, I'll share with like actually today, today I woke up and it was, I just was like this depression. Like, I just felt so sad and, like, tearing up before, like, just so sad. I thought, oh, wow, like, here it is. And I'm, you know, to be transparent, I'm, like, I'm grieving now. My father, who was my everything, my greatest fear was when he would pass. And that Mm -hmm. happened five months before the book came out last year. And... So, you know, I share this because my greatest fear and then also my dream of having the book come out came around, at, you know, it was like the death and the birth, right? Yeah. And 
it's coming up on a year next month, a month, uh, a month tomorrow, or a month yesterday that my dad will be the anniversary. So I'm in a really raw place today. Uh, with the book, how I started writing the book was, I had never wanted to be a writer, but I was always writing. And I, I started writing a book after I was writing uh, some articles for The Fix, which was a recovery magazine. Uh, mm -hmm. And for those of you who know Amy Dresner in the recovery world, uh, I was writing, well, yeah, I met her at the gym and she was working, she was a columnist at The Fix. And I was like, you know, I, I never heard, you know, I want to, like, nobody writes about sugar daddies in and out of sobriety. I want to hear that. And she's like, yeah, so I sent her the article like that night <laughs> and she's like, yeah, let's, anyway, so I started uh, writing essays and I had been publishing short stories like in, in obscure literary magazines um, mm -hmm. and for quite a number of years and I never wanted to write a book, uh, but I met a mentor, Jill Sherry Robinson, a very successful author, uh, who's in her 80s now, she became my mentor and I was in a writing workshop that she was doing and she said, you're, you're writing a memoir. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to write a book. I'm a short story writer. I'm an essayist. Or, and, and then we began working together and I began, began writing. It was a very, very long process for me. Uh, the the writing of it took probably about five, five years. And then the whole thing with the publishing and everything and going through a couple agents and choosing how the publishing, uh, that took all, all in total 10 years. So it's been a long oh, wow. journey, long yeah. journey. Can I just say one thing to you about what you said? I'm not gonna, yeah. I, I hope I don't make you cry. No, you, um, I think you're pretty fantastic. Um, and your story is, I can tell there's many layers that we didn't even uncover. Um, but the fact that you talk about your book coming out and kind of like find, finding that dream, but at the same time, like losing your dad. I've lot I've gone through a lot of grief in my life and and so I kind of like I'm never gonna say I'm an expert but what I can tell you is I don't know if you're spiritual but I am Definitely. and and yeah. and my I lost my own dad when I was 13 and I think that these things are the worst part about loss is especially somebody that you love so much is that we just don't see them. They're gone. Like they're not here to us. But what I really believe, and I say this often, is they really are here, but they're just in the next room. So there's a famous poem about just being in the next room. And we just can't see them, but they're really, really here. And what I want you to know is like you writing your book and you sharing your story and you, you know, getting sober and you admitting like, you know what, today is not a good day. That's all part of the cycle of life. And you're yeah. going to have your good days and your bad days. But like what you're putting out there into the world is like going after a dream and your dream came to fruition 
and you're here yeah. still for a reason. And then, you know, he's proud of you. I don't even know your dad, but I just had to tell you that because I just felt like I had to say that. So thank you for that, Megan. I don't I, know. No, I'm definitely spiritual as well. And I, everything you just shared, I, I'm in line with. I believe that wholeheartedly yeah. too. And in fact, I have my little altar that I prayed at. <laughs> I mean, uh, before meeting with you and his, or that. Do you, do you have a, like, I ask a lot of my guests what their signs are. Mm-hmm. They've gone through loss. Do you have a sign that your dad's with you? Like, do you have something like where you're like, oh, I know he must be here because I like, you know, a lot of people will say hummingbirds. My sign is the butterfly. <laughs> well, as soon as I got do back to LA like after he passed, I had to get a, a hummingbird feeder. <laughs> so I have hummingbird do, feeders Do you see windows. them? Yeah, they come. They are. And did the hummingbirds come? Yeah, I have one too. And they come all the time. And yeah. mine fell down. And then I felt so guilty because I'm like, oh, no, my hummingbird's going to die. But they st- he, st- he or she <laughs> kind of like to think it's a he because he's <laughs> one too. of my angels stands on that line. And I just watch him in the morning at- with my coffee. Same. Yeah, they're with us. They're they with are. us. And, and for me, I, I literally could talk to you for hours and hours. I just feel like there's so much to uncover in your story. And and I just I I'm I'm just so grateful that we connected. Me too, Megan. Where where um can everybody follow you? What's your Instagram and best ways to reach you? Uh let's see. Well, Instagram is Hannah Sword. Uh, Hannah Ward author at Hannah Ward author. Yeah, and then your book is available. It's available. Uh, Let's plug your book. I mean, the easiest is Amazon, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I do support independent, or I like to support independent bookstores. Uh, so it's also easy to order it through. Uh, I mean, go into your bookstore and ask them to order it. But also, if just for easy sake, it on um what is it bookshop.org or uh yeah certain bookstores I've gone in like yesterday I went into some bookstores to to sign different books but I don't know what bookstores carry it on the shelf they all have it on their online but does Barnes and Noble have it yeah yeah okay so okay the easiest would be barnesandnobles.com or amazon.com or yeah okay okay everyone Go out and get the book. <laughs> and um, and I'm just so honored to have you on and have met you. And I just want you to know you made my you made my whole day today meeting you. You too, Megan. You too. I felt so raw and I feel uh, yeah, filled my spirit this morning. Well, keep going, everybody. Everybody, I'd like to say that, and I, as a reminder, like we talked about in the beginning, you know, we have peaks and valleys in this life, you know, they're going to have your good days and your bad days, and like we just talked about, you know, you can have the greatest things in the world happening, and then like, you can just take a dip, but it's all about like understanding that you matter, and like we're here for such a short time, I say a lot.
lot. I'm like a decade seems like I blink my eyes and I'm it's a decade later. Like I cannot believe I almost have a 13 year old. I feel like I just was at Cedars and I was just delivering her and she's almost 13. And that's terrifying. Um, but but I want to always remind everybody of that if you listen um, and you can follow me and send me your questions and whatever you want to ask me you can follow me at, at judging Megan on Instagram is the best way to reach me and I'm on Patreon now and you can see me on YouTube you can watch this episode on YouTube and uh, just a reminder be happy by making other people happy thank you for listening Judging Megan with Megan Judge. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.